Welcome to Football Not Soccer, your favourite Australian football podcast where we bring to you all the latest in news and reviews from the past week in Australian football. Sydney FC are A-League champions following a cagey match at Optus Stadium in Perth against the Premier's Perth Glory. The A-League bids farewell to a legend of the game and Honda fires departing shots as he steps out of victory colours and into a future unknown. All this and more on the show, but before we continue, Rob, how is Berlin, my friend? Uh, it's a bit confused at the moment. It's very cold today. It's about 12 degrees, and yesterday it was about 26 degrees. <laughs> but it's, oh, it's been amazing. good. I've been um, <laughs> frequenting all the local establishments, and you know they stay open very late, so that's been very fun, but not good for my health, good obviously. <laughs> good. No, of course not. <laughs> well, I guess another another person who's like ultimately confused but also overjoyed is Kevin Musket who's departing Melbourne Victory after a hugely successful 14-year tenure at one of the most successful clubs in A-League history, Rob. He's, uh, he's left the club with a number of honours to his name as a player winning the Premiership and Championship twice each before becoming manager and winning another Premiership and two more Championships in addition to the FFA Cup. That comes in at eight trophies in 14 years, which is Pretty monumental. Known as one of the hardest men in the Australian game, Musket won over fans in Melbourne with his relentless managerial style that saw his team play an effective style driven by results and big game performances. Do you have any words for the departing Kevin Musket, Rob? Yeah, Cam. Uh, well, we talked about last week, uh, I guess it's quite briefly, um, but we talked about maybe it was time for, for himself to, to take a new challenge and freshen things up and get some new ideas from different perspectives. And the same for Melbourne Victory, for that matter. And um, he's been an absolute serviceman to the club, and he's been an integral part of why they've been so successful in the last 14 years. He was there from day dot he played for uh, ages as a captain of the club and then he went into um, coaching as an assistant coach for quite a while and they had a bit of a tumultuous time and then he took over the reins as head coach and he was nothing but a success from from the start of his coaching career as well so you really can't say anything more than you know well done and what a career that he's had at Melbourne Victory and I mean I don't particularly like him um for his antics on the pitch and being liking rival teams and whatever else, but you can have nothing but respect for the character because Kevin Musket's um, given everything that he has for the club. And that's, um, you know, you got to take your hat off to him. Yeah. And you could probably say that it's, it's maybe down to a lack of, of prowess in Asia that's led him to this decision because one expects that he's probably taken that club to their, the highest point that they'll reach under his tutelage. And, you know, I, I guess now Melbourne Victory can move on to something perhaps maybe even better, uh, maybe not necessarily in terms of results, because like we just mentioned, eight trophies in 14 years is no mean feat. But you know what? It's probably time for Melbourne Victory to move on from that, um, yeah, from that tenure I guess for lack of a better term and, and move on to something that maybe could be a bit more successful in Asia because you know them along with a whole host of other clubs have been 
hugely unsuccessful in that competition. Well, yeah. Yeah, and Melbourne Victory are Australia's biggest club and they also should kind of be wary of what comes in next because a new manager does not equate to being a new kind of year of the era of success. No. So it's going to be interesting to see who they replace him with and what their kind of goal statement is going to be for this new manager because foreign can doesn't mean success and um, domestic doesn't mean success so you never know what you're going to get with a-league managers so very interesting to see yeah and it's exciting times ahead for all football fans in australia and i guess uh, on that note we can also mention that keisuke honda has left Melbourne Victory following a pretty interesting season for the highly rated ex-Japan player. He made a total of 20 appearances, scoring seven goals, which maybe was a little bit short of the mark that was set for him. He was hindered for a pretty big chunk of the season by a hamstring injury that saw him miss nine games in total. But in leaving, Honda fired shots at young Australian players, stating they need to leave the country to develop as footballers as staying in a comfortable environment can lead to complacency. What do you have to say about Honda's leaving remarks? Do you think that he's pretty accurate? I think that what he said um, shouldn't be taken out of context, but it's a it's a message of kind of motivation, less yeah. of than a shot fired at people in the A-League. I think it's more of a, a case that you should not be resting on your laurels or resting on that fourth position striker in the A-League, if you think you're good enough, you should have a crack somewhere and push yourself to that next level and yeah. don't have a little backup in the A-League. I mean, I don't always kind of agree with the people that are sprouting these kind of things, that Australians aren't, uh, these young Australian players aren't hungry enough because I think that's more systemic of all modern youngsters yeah. that are coming through with maybe a little bit too much money and a little bit too much cushioning. But I think he's definitely right in the sense that um, players need to be pushing themselves to their absolute limits at that developmental stage to get the best from themselves and to push themselves into a first team. And you do hear it a lot from those soccerers from that golden generation that had to go and cut their teeth in England or Holland or Germany or wherever they were to get anything from a career and they didn't have the NSL to back themselves up with uh, they sorry they only had the NSL to back themselves up with they didn't have a professional career back in Australia yeah. that would you know see their bills paid until they're you know well into their 40s at least so it, it, i think it's i think it's a good message of motivation from Honda but yeah i, I don't know it's you still can't be slamming your domestic leagues cuz i think what we are doing now is much better than what we were doing 15 years ago you know Absolutely. And um, I guess on that note, we can get to the showpiece of the of the A-League season, which was the grand final between Perth Glory and Sydney FC at Optus Cam, Stadium. That and crowd. Yeah, it played, <laughs> out, it played out to quite a, a pretty big fanfare with the biggest crowd in A-League grand final history. Take your hat off, um, Perth, because that, that was massive. And that was all Western Australian fans. And that's really interesting for me because I'm thinking, where are these Perth Glory fans week in, week out? But we're not going to focus on that because the, those 56,000 that were there made so much noise and it was so hostile for, for Sydney FC for throughout that game. Although I think both teams used the crowd to their advantage. Uh, it was it was a, such a great, great crowd there, Cam, right? Really good atmosphere uh, from, from what it looked like on TV. A lot of toilet seats about, which, you know, we do love because our trophy does very much resemble a toilet seat after all. And perhaps it's a little bit of a, uh, a motif or a, or a metaphor for what these finals represent <laughs> in Australian football. <laughs> 
But you know what? This game was anything but boring. Uh, it was one of those classic nil-nils for the purists, but also like a pretty incredible tactical battle. And before we get too stuck into analysis, maybe we can listen to how that went down. Liam Reddy was a hero in this situation last week for Perth. He has to be again here or it's all over for Perth. Gershenichan scores! And against the Premiers, against all odds, a long way from home, it is Sydney FC who are the champions of Australia for a record equaling fourth time. Gershenichan's successful spot kick. It's desperation and desolation for Perth, whose big day falls flat. And Sydney FC have done it again on penalties, the third time. It was definitely a case for the defence, you know. It was a nil or draw. And, um, you know, it ultimately went to, to extra time and penalties without a single goal scored. But one cannot say it lacked for drama, Rob. It was a definitely a drama-filled final, eh? Oh, definitely. I mean, let's let's talk about the, the biggest dramatic point right at the end because I would like to talk about the good things first, Cam, if you don't mind. For sure. But, man, that was the tightest game of the season. Neither team was willing to give an inch in such a tense affair it was you could you could feel the tension on the pitch because like those midfielders they left nothing there and we say that all the time in finals football but they left absolutely nothing and you like take your hat off to the defensive midfielders of both teams because they covered so much ground and were so disciplined throughout that entire affair it was definitely one for the the defensive teams right Cam? yeah for sure and um i mean I think that the what speaks volumes more than anything is the fact that some of the best players on the pitch in terms of creative uh, creativity failed to kind of get into positions where they could really influence the game bar maybe a couple of different instances. I'm thinking specifically about those two Castro-headed chances and, and perhaps the, the Sydney FC disallowed goal that we'll maybe get to. But I think before mm. the game started, you know, a lot of people were talking about this, you know, this huge coach battle between... Steve Corica, the the green coach from uh, across the pasture, and uh, and Tony Popovich, who's you know come back to the country after a pretty atrocious spell in Europe, or in in Turkey at least, and um and has come back with an absolute head of steam, you know, winning the championship at a canter, and then going into finals football, and again, again, Rob, failing at the last hurdle. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was, I mean, it's pretty gut-wrenching for Tony Popovich fans. And by that, I probably just mean his family and the bunch of Wanderers fans who are still holding on to a little bit of Popovich pride. But but man, this, this game was 100% told in the tactical oh, battle yeah. and, and the individual battles. Yeah. I think um, a big, well, I'm just going to go on to Steve Corica for a little bit because I think uh, this season, throughout the entire, the, the entire competition, he's been kind of working out his management style as he goes of what he wants to be and what he wants his team to do on the pitch and how he's getting that message across. And this performance was such a pragmatic display from Corica and the team for that matter. I think it's one of the performances that I've seen the biggest chalk and cheese change from two games ever because that game against Melbourne Victory last week Sydney FC went out, they attacked, they played a free-flowing game, they they committed men forward, they took chances, and those chances came to them, and it was a game where the floodgates opened, 
And then this game, he just shut up shop and he did not give anything. And he, he was not afraid because I think Sydney FC controlled that game quite well, even though Vic, uh, Glory were much better on the day. They were the dominant team. They held more possession. They held more meaningful touches in the opposition half and they put more dangerous balls into the box. But Sydney FC did not give them a chance. They got those those couple of half chances, as you just said, but there was, there was nothing that Sydney FC gave up without a battle, without a fight. And it was just really interesting to watch. And it's the same for Perth Glory, Cam. So what, what do you think that Popovich got wrong in the end? Because that's, that's quite an interesting thing. Well, I mean, f- for, a star- for starters, he had no way to counteract the, the, the job that Sydney FC were doing on Diego Castro and Chris Economides. I mean, mm. especially in that first half, the, the Sydney FC players were just taking turns fouling Economides, not letting him have a chance to get, to get running forward with the ball i mean i saw ryan grant snap him a couple of times i saw calva get him a couple of times and uh yeah brandon o'neill had a go brajante had a go and one of the the more interesting kind of factors i saw would was that they were obviously happy not to press when the ball was deep in the post glory half but as soon as it crossed that halfway line the ball went anywhere near Diego Castro's feet. There was a flood of players just hassling him and taking the ball and not necessarily booting it long, but but still really, really relegating those players to the smallest amount of space so they just couldn't even turn and, and get their, you know, get their foot on the ball and try and make anything meaningful happen. And I think specifically the fact that Castro's two best chances or two only chances in the game probably were those two headers. I mean, this is a player that we've been talking up all season, Rob. We've been saying he's the best player in the league, the most effective player in the league, but he went missing in this game for quite big spurts. And I was watching it with someone who said that, you know, he's been known to do that. And it's kind of a bit contrary to what I thought of him throughout the season. But then this game, I think he really showed his worst qualities where if things aren't necessarily going for him or if he doesn't have players around him, maybe sacrificing a little bit of their own space, then he doesn't really have that much to work in. And I think that was really obvious in the fact that anytime he, he got the ball and went to goal, he was completely outmatched by the defense and he wasn't able to even really get a shot on goal except for two headers. And you know what? I think more than anything, this game screams of just a real respect for defensive football. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because that, that has gone out the window, you know, in past years, especially in the A-League, it's never been necessarily known to be one of the best (laughs) and most uh, valued approaches to any single game. But Mm. I think you're 100% right in calling... Uh, Corica's change from last week to this week, a really, really intelligent tactical display because he went out against victory at home knowing that he would get goals with that movement up front. And then in this game against, you know, the best attacking team in the league, he knew that he had to do something different and he did it. And you know what? They almost got away with it in regular time with that snatch and grab approach with a goal that was disallowed, Rob. Uh, by an offside flag by a linesman who's probably feeling pretty silly in light of the <laughs> the camera angles that showed that Zulo was in fact onside for that goal. Rob, Mate. what do you make of that? Two VAR gaffes in two years in the biggest game in the Australian football men's football calendar. What have you got to say, Rob? First thing, that lines ref 
that's such a hard decision to make on the day with defender and attacker going opposite directions. That's that's the hairline kind of thing that happens in that refereeing split decision. You know, that was there was a toe yeah. in it. There was a toe in it. So I put nothing down to the lines ref. But mate, exactly. And what directive are you given as a ref when you've got VAR? Absolutely. Keep your fucking flag no, down, mate. I, Keep your flag down. I disagree down. with you. Don't. I disagree with you oh, because man. you should be making these oh, decisions on instinct, right? But when you have the technology and when they do actually go for the VAR review because it was reviewed correct 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 okay so if you don't want to if you don't want to call it a clear obvious error you don't review it okay but the decision has been reviewed and then you look at it and everyone on that pitch could see that it was a goal everyone at home could see that it was a goal the technology is there it's insane that then with it being reviewed that it is then not given a goal. That is what, Insane. for me, and no one's disagreeing. There is not a single person that is saying, no, you're right, it was a clear and obvious ever. When you're looking at on that fucking review for the VAR, for that purpose, if it is getting reviewed and the decision is incorrect, it doesn't matter if it's clear or obvious. That is clear or obvious because it is the, the line is offside. That is my biggest problem with this because if it's not going to get reviewed, fine. But it did get reviewed, it was showed to be offside, and it was not changed which is just an insane decision if you ask me onside onside yeah I, I, sorry i couldn't yeah. agree i couldn't agree more but i think the, the most fascinating thing for me is the fact that we're talking here about specifically about technology that's there to back up the referees and from what i understand their directive is to if if it is a split call like that where you just can't call it you know and you are going on instinct as you just said you should you shouldn't be making a call because there's no way in hell that you can tell me that he saw that Zulo was offside in that situation because he just he just was not offside. <laughs> and it, I can tell you right now, if, if Sydney FC had not won that game in penalties, there would have been hell to pay, not just from fans, but also from every single media outlet in the country. And the fact that they kind of let it go is is a testament to Sydney FC's victory in the end but man did you watch uh <laughs> did you see Bozza kind of managing to hold it all in at half time yeah, like he looked I like he was, was so about to proud explode. of that man yeah the whole time that he, he kind of let um what's his name speak about it uh what's the other guy uh I was the ex-Blackbone player I was watching it in a very very loud pub Robbie Slater you talked about <laughs> yeah Robbie Slater had a massive go at the VAR and Bozza was just sitting there quietly fuming like motherfucker you are taking my moment I've been planning what I was going to say for like the last <laughs> half an hour, uh, 20 minutes or whatever it was. And then he didn't get his say because um, Robbie Slater covered it. <laughs> it was so good. Cam, um, uh, we both don't like talking about the VR that much. So let's just move on. Can I ask you a few questions about the game now that I've been thinking about? And we haven't had a chat about this final yet. This is like our first chat uh, live to the listener. Can I just ask you, Joel Kianese, fantastic season, but Andy Keogh is fit and he's a, marksman do you do you leave him on the bench in a game that you know you're going to dominate in not dominate but you know you're going to have the upper edge well i mean i i can understand i guess to a degree i can understand the logic behind it because last time course, last yeah. time that perth beat sydney sydney 3-1 chianese yeah. scored a double chianese played with and against these guys in training for years uh or at least some of them and um 
and you know he was hungry, uh, hungry to prove himself. And I, I think Popovich maybe, but I think I think ultimately I think Popovich overthunk overthunk it a little bit mm. in leaving Keo on the bench because he thought I suppose that if it wasn't going to happen for Chianese, at least he can bring Andy Keo off the bench and and have something yeah, happen. And I, in in that way, I get it. Know. Like Chianese has been an absolute workhorse and he's done every single thing for Popovich perfectly this season. So there's no fault in starting that kind of player because you know he's going to give it your all. You know he's disciplined in defense and he's going to do the work for your Kios and your Economides to make them look good as well. Yeah. But in a game where you know that Sydney is not going to be pressing on so much, they got two defensive midfielders who love to cover ground and are very disciplined in their defensive qualities. Calver's been in excellent form. Wilkinson barely puts a foot wrong most in most games I've ever seen the guy play in yeah. the A-League. Yeah. So you know that there's not going to be so much space. Um, and chances are going to be at a premium. Yeah. And what were the two chances that Castro got? Two headers. What oh. is Keo good at? Heading the ball. This is where, in my head, I was kind of like, oh, this is going to be an interesting decision. Um, mm. And those balls were coming in from deep. They weren't coming in from in behind Ryan Grant no. or Zulo because those two guys are really hard to get in behind because their their physicality and their athleticism. So it was an interesting thing. Do you, you ready for your second one? Is you ready for your second question? I've yeah, got go for, you? for it. Talk to me. My second question for you is, so we've talked about Keo not starting. Let's just leave that uh, uh, behind. Yeah. Perth Glory, uh, I think for me, one of the big mistakes in that game was that they didn't end up taking enough chances. They didn't end up committing enough people forward. They didn't end up getting enough overlaps and overloads in dangerous areas. Yeah. And do you think that Popovich was more than happy for that to happen as long as they weren't conceding chances, but then leaving a game up to penalties is a flip of the coin. Either team can win or lose it from there. It has nothing to do with how good you are. Sure, mental strength comes in, but that's very much in the moment. You can't control that as a coach. Mm. But what Tony Popovich could have controlled is um, letting his team take more risks in attack. What did, what did you think of that? Do you think that Perth Glory took enough chances in a game that they rightly so um, edged out in the dominance? Well, they, they obviously didn't, Rob, because it finished nil law, it went to extra time, finished nil law, and it went to penalties. And I guess Popovich backed his players after being successful in a penalty shootout in the previous week to go ahead and beat Sydney. But I think the thing that he didn't, he, he could, it, there's no way that he could legislate for was the fact that his players had just won a penalty shootout against an Adelaide United team that took them to the very, very end of their rope. And... And I think ultimately, it's not just that he failed to give his players enough freedom to pour forward. I, I honestly have to say that it's it's down as much to the fact that Sydney FC just did an absolute job on them in, in defense. And uh, and I think one thing that we've overlooked up to this point is the fact that the, the individual battles across the pitch were oh, really yeah, what, what dictated yeah. this game. Yeah. I mean, and mm. you can talk about O'Neill and Brajante taking on Juan de... And Kilkenny in the midfield as much as you want, but yeah, for me the jewel of yeah. the game was Davidson versus Grant on that on that right mm. or left flank. Wasn't it great to watch? Oh, it was so exciting, man. I mean, they had to go at each other the whole game. You know, they were fouling each other, they were stripping each other of the ball, they were going past each other. At one point they came together head to head, and you could see that neither of them wanted to get sent off, and then Davidson blinked thinking that he could get Grant as the aggressor, but then I think in that moment maybe Ryan Grant might have won that <laughs> battle. 
because he didn't blink, he didn't pull away, and and from that moment on, he seemed to have a mental edge over over his counterpart. And it wasn't long before Scott Neville came on. Um, I think he came on for Bayich though, but mm. either Bayich. either way, yeah, um, yeah, Bayich, yeah, no, yeah, not Bayich, no, Aziz. No, not, not as he's Beach. <laughs> Who the fuck plays fullback for Perth Glory? Anyway, anyway, um, you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> yeah, Scott Neville came. Scott Neville came. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. I should just, I should just throw you that bloody, bone. <laughs> bloody <laughs> wog, fault. bloody wog fullbacks. Am I right? <laughs> um, but uh, uh, just a disclaimer: Camilo is of full wog heritage. As <laughs> a full wog, he is able to use that word. Okay, I'm the back I'm on the purest wog on this <laughs> podcast. You better fucking believe it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like but, the way um, you're using it. That that word is greatly offensive to my father in his time. Okay. Oh <laughs> uh, well, that's not my problem, man. This is a different time. <laughs> but either way, let's let's get back onto it. Look, I did. You know I, what I, I agree with you completely. Grant versus Davidson was yeah absolutely incredible, immense battle. It's one of the. I think it, it'll be one that goes down to the ages. And Bench. isn't it great to see two finely tuned Australian attackers slash Love defenders that were at each other all night and rarely they rarely even stopped to take in like a second of that grand final atmosphere. And that, I think Davidson's looks so good under Popovich this season. He's come along so yeah, much and um, sure. he's shown like um, not only uh, tactical discipline, but he's also shown a bit of attacking kind of, you know, finesse as well, which is Grant. Grant's another player. He's come on so much in one year, but he was already fantastic and he's just yeah. continued to go from strength to But he's to come strength. back from those ACLs, man. He's had two ACL injuries mm. in his career already and he's only, what, 26, 27 years old. So the fact that he's been able to kick on from that is is incredible. And, um, and you know what? Ultimately, the mental-physical battle came down to a penalty shootout, which... It, it was almost dictated from before it even began how it was going to go down, uh, especially with Redmayne and his little penalty save technique. I um, I was hugely, thing, hugely hey. impressed with that. Yeah, me too. Do you know what? Uh, like, it's, it's one of those things that you see it happen so rarely that although it, it might not work, it might not do anything, it might just look stupid or whatever, it yeah. can get into the heads. And he's, Redmayne's been, he's still been dancing on the dance floor of Brendan Sandalab's head. Oh, with, man. Oh, my God. I feel for the guy. I don't particularly like Brendan Sandalab, but that is possibly the most unsatisfying last kick of a career that you will oh. ever see, Cam. <laughs> Such and a bad attempt. You know what? Like, um, they talk a lot about um, Crawley over at Sydney FC being a kind of a genius, but he's changed Redmayne, Redmayne, sorry, and yeah. he's changed him for the better. And, and remember when he left? Um, <coughs> excuse me, when he left West Sydney Wanderers, his career was in the gutter. He, he was he a bit did, of a joke, did. wasn't he? Everyone thought that veteran going the other way was really a big, really good bit of business. <laughs> and it's funny because Redmayne has turned himself into a absolute first team first person on the pitch um on the team sheet kind of yeah. character and you know you got to thank uh crawley for that because he's done an absolute fantastic job and you know that that one percent of difference that we always talk about with managers the one percenters it looks like that's what ended up getting redmayne over the line because he stood tall in that penalty shooter he didn't care what he was looking like in there he showed so much mental strength and even though he looked like a bit of a dildo um he was <laughs> amazing and that pretty much won the game for sydney fc and he got in there he got in the head of those um 
uh, yeah, he, either way, it's, it's very interesting to see. Sydney FC were very astute in um, their penalties and Perth Glory unfortunately choked a little bit there at the end, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that ultimately, you know, Sydney FC walked away with the championship and it was well-deserved because, you know, that goal was well-crafted. Brosk had a hand in it as well after that great hold-up play in the box. And although it was overruled, I think that the fact that, you know, the Sydney FC players held their nerve and uh, and managed to outdo Perth in the penalty shootout came down to like you said that one percent and Redmayne absolutely shouldn't have gotten should have gotten the man of the match <laughs> he should have gotten that medal at the end and uh, mm. I guess the, it's the a saves, testament yeah. yeah it's a testament to yeah well he made quite a few saves he made at least two absolute blinding saves from headers uh, if one of them was maybe a little bit more pedestrian but you know what man the saves in the penalty shootout I just don't get how they don't give it to him you know Ninkovic is class yeah. and he he had a decent game. But he had an like okay in, game. in a nil law, in a nil law, you have to give the you have to give it to either a defender or a keeper, right? Surely. Yeah. Well, basically, from what I, I was doing some reading, um, and the way that they vote for those games is in about the 80th minute. So the oh, media representatives vote in the 80th minute, and that's where they go off. But I wouldn't have given it to Ninkovic anyway. Even then, um, no. At at that point of the game, I thought you know um, a Lowry, a Spiranovic, a Wilkinson, a Calver, O'Neill. You go through those defensive players Grant Davidson yeah. these kind of guys Spiranovic had a huge game he, he, he really did yeah, he had a huge game dictating dictating that back that back three back five winning a lot of headers and, and stepping out of defense when necessary and and you could say mm. the same about Wilkinson and, and Calver you could say the same about O'Neill buzzing about in the midfield Kilkenny having a huge game um, after news came out that he was he was carrying a pretty pretty painful injury that he injury, needed yeah. shots to get over you know so and um yeah i guess like all in all before we move on um and, ra- and wrap this thing up i guess that was one of my highlights for the season was the fact that uh like ultimately you had these big big strong characters coming through and uh and dictating the way that their teams were going to play and it happened all across the board i mean you had perth glory with with guys like castro economides you get spiranovic even Liam Reddy, who'd never won uh, a title in his career, you know, really coming through with the goods, Popovich. And then uh, going down the table, you know, at Sydney FC, you had a new manager who still managed to instill this great character into his team. You had Kevin Musket, Honda and Toivon and doing it, and Barbarousas, of course, doing it for Melbourne. I could go on and on, you know. You had like all your marquees really stepped up. And I think that was one of the, my favorite things about this season is that, um, you know, there was real quality in every squad apart from Central Coast. That, that kind of shone through to a degree, even if maybe the, the teams weren't necessarily some of their parts overall, you know? Mm, so that, that's, you'd say that's your highlight of, of the season for you, Cam? Like one, one of them for sure. I think, you know, that there's been a couple of good moments and, and we will cover this obviously a lot more in depth when we do our proper season review in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, where we go team to team by team and, and give them a score and whatnot and pick our best and, and worst moments for each team. But I think overall, I think the marquees have been pretty good in, in what has been, you know, a semi-underwhelming season. Like, it's been pretty pretty decent in terms of competition. But, you know, obviously, when you have a team like Perth just running away with it, no mm. real title battle and uh, and a top six, top six race that was pretty much over before it began as well. Like, there was never really any chance that anyone was going to break into it from about, you know, round 20 or even before that onwards. So it, it kind of did have an anticlimactic end, but, you know, we had players all throughout that kind of really shown through with their quality. Mm. I'd, I'd say if I had to pick a single highlight for, for the season for me, um, 
It was the Aussie coaches. Tony Popovich was a dominant manager throughout the season. Rudin was in his first um, professional gig, I guess. Maybe you know, I know he coached in the MPLs, but let's say this is a top-level professional. And he was instrumental in giving belief to a club that's shown that hasn't had much belief in the last few seasons in Wellington Phoenix. Um, and Steve Coker, another guy in his first season as head coach. And although it was a bit up and down for him, he ended up finishing second and taking out a grand final in his, his, his first season at a club. And it was just really good, I think, for Australian managers. And all of those managers have a few things in common that they have yeah, like done John the hard yards. Yeah, <laughs> oh, Horrible. But well, you know, these are new managers. These are these are people that are proving themselves, and these are people that um, have been given a chance to impress on the the highest level in Australia. And they've gone out and they've done it, and it's really great to see. And I, I hope that we're giving new managers a chance more often, and not just these ones with huge profiles, because all those guys have massive profiles. But coaches that are doing well in the NPL and that are that are doing well around the Asian leagues that, you know, we've got a few people out there. So that, that was my highlight of the season, Cam. Hey, Cam. Yeah. Before we really start wrapping up and give like maybe a low light, I've got a little quiz for you. You ready? Go for it. Okay. I am going to ask you if you can name the winners of every grand final in the last 14 years, starting from Sydney FC this season. So Sydney FC won it this season. So uh, you got to give me 14 teams. Melbourne Victory won it the season before. Yeah. Uh, Sydney FC won it the season before that. Yep. Uh, I want to say Adelaide won it yep. the season before that. Uh, and then we've got another Melbourne win yep. before that. Uh, before that, we had... Then we're back in 2014, if that gives so you a little got clue. Bris- yeah, Brisbane won it Brisbane. that year. Yep. Yeah. And then before then, them, the Central Coast won it. Are you looking at these or... No, 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 no. I'm guessing okay. these. I'm up to seven, Keep right? Going. You're correct. Bef- That's before that, from memory, I think Brisbane won it again. Yep. And again. Yep. So that's nine. Yeah. So then before that was Levitska's Sydney FC. That's yes. 10. Uh-huh. Uh, the season before that, I want to say it was that Melbourne Victory Adelaide game yep. where they trumped them 5 0. So that's no, no, no. How many? That was 1 0. That oh, was 1 0. Right. Melbourne Victory so how many, Adelaide. How many is that? Is that You've got 11? three left. Three yeah, left. So that's 11. So before that, uh, Melbourne Victory then won it before that. No, so no, Mel- no, 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 Victory Newcastle and Newcastle, Newcastle won it Jets. Okay, yeah. you've got two left, and they're the easiest ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the second season was won by. Wait, how many victories have I said? I've said three. You've already said it. You've already said it. Oh, uh, so you that counts, it. does it? No, no, no. no. You just no I said victory. Right yeah, victory be yeah, victory beating Adelaide five nil, where Archie Thompson scored four goals and six nil, five goals. Yeah, six Go nil. Yeah, and then Sydney FC won the inaugural season. Dwight York. Yeah, Corica. that's actually pretty impressive, Cam. I don't know if I could have done that on the run like that. That was pretty quick. Well done. <laughs> that well was done. not planned, um, by the way. That was fucking... That no, was I, I, I was going to ask you for the scores for the last 10. Nah, but I wouldn't then get I was the like, scores. Meh. Yeah, you know what? Uh, you know what? I definitely wouldn't be able to get the premierships. <laughs> no, 
which is I actually I quite I, interesting. I could actually yeah. probably go pretty far with that, though, actually, now that I think about it. But I don't know. If don't we don't do it now. Things. We're boring the listener. Um, we can do can that I next ask week. you, Cam, maybe <laughs> yeah. to give me your one... We just did like a little highlight. This is a little preview for the for the season review show. Yeah. What was what would you say is your one low light of this season? Central Coast Mariners. I had that written on my list too. Go on, give me a <laughs> bit why. Well, I mean, after last season when they hugely underperformed under their previous management, um, who ultimately left the left the club because he thought he couldn't do anything with that group of players. They brought yeah. in Mick Mulvey, who was a proven A League winner, and uh, and signed a couple of really really good players that you know sadly were taken out of the season early by injury, respectively. But man, you cannot underperform that badly. Like you cannot perform that badly in an A League season across the board you need to be posting better results. And I don't care that they were outclassed by, you know, bigger spending or like more prestige going to other teams or whatever. Like the fact that you were in so many games and then ultimately lost them is just a testament to will and character more than anything. And I'm not saying mm. that I'm not Club begrudging, culture. I'm not begrudging these players characters because I'm sure that they all wanted to win games but there was something in that club or in that management structure or something that just really failed them. And I thought that was definitely a, a big old shame. Yeah. And I um and we're gonna we're gonna elaborate on this next week when we do our season review. I had um Brisbane and Central Coast ownership. That's what I had, but I'm not gonna go into that right now because you just had a little touch on it there. Because okay. it was the club cultures and the, yep. the way that they're running the clubs, it seeps down into the teams. My big one uh is I'm gonna have a little not pop, but like maybe even go into the defense of West Sydney Wanderers because ANZ Stadium and Spotless Stadium, and I went out there for a couple of games this season to check it out. They were the most soulless grounds I've ever seen for an A-League team. Yeah, it's been an ongoing Anybody, problem though. So that's that one, three seasons it? now. And they'll be very happy to be in the new stadium come next season. It's a big year for them. We'll talk about that a lot. But the, the decision to go to ANZ Stadium and to Spotless Stadium, I think should go down as possibly some of the worst decisions to be made in the A-League history. And let's yeah. just say the West Sydney Wanderers did not put a foot wrong as a club, as a fan base, as the way that they were doing things for those first, um, for those first couple of years. They did not put a foot wrong. And then to, to disenfranchise their fans so much... Um, yeah, in that but they just stopped going. That, well, yeah, <laughs> and, and, you know, like... And I don't blame them for a second because... Making that trek out um, for for the listener at home that doesn't live in or doesn't know Sydney well, that Olympic Park trip is it's just it's not nice, and Sydney no. transport is not particularly nice. But atrocious. When it, when it was at Parramatta, everything funnels into that ground, and it, there's a good atmosphere for people to go and have a a friendly shandy before the game, and maybe some dinner after. And that Olympic Park precinct is disgusting. I think maybe any A-League team that's going to do this in the future should look at the way that Sydney FC have conducted themselves this year. Go to the regional grounds. Go go to the grounds that are to that are smaller, and you can get an atmosphere, and you get people having a nice match day experience. And that's probably my big one of my big lowlights. But we'll go more into that. Um, Next next year, um, did you want to have a pop at the Joe Marsden medals <laughs> of the last? No, no, <laughs> no, no. 
Okay. Uh, it's fine. We'll get to all that in our <laughs> review. It's all good. <laughs> all right, um, I guess I do want to say that if you want to get in touch with the show, please email us uh, at admin at footballnotsoccer.org. And you can also hit us up on Instagram uh, uh, or Twitter. The, the handles there are at FNSpod. Or you can go to Facebook and look us up there. We're Football Not Soccer. And you will find us and you will be able to get in touch with us if you have anything to refute or anything you want to say about the show. And we will also absolutely cop a review and a rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts if that is where you are listening to the show. If you're listening on Spotify or or SoundCloud or any other podcast platform, then feel free to go to iTunes and give us a review or a rating because it will hugely give us a huge boost in, in um, going up to a a bigger audience listener but you know what i don't want to i don't want to dwell on any of that admin crap because we have come to the end of the show and we are going to be doing a big old season review in the next week or two and it's going to include all of your favorite clubs in australian a-league football we'll also have a look back at some of the big highlights big moments of the season uh not just in men's football but also in women's football and also have another podcast dedicated to looking forward to the Women's World Cup in France, which is going to be starting in the next month. And that's going to be a pretty exciting time as well with, you know, Matilda's squad that hopefully it looks like they could go far in the competition, but we'll get to all of that in the next couple of shows. Rob, before we depart, do you have anything you want to add to my little admin spiel just there? No, no, I think um, it's it's been a really fantastic season. Loved working with you as per usual, Cam. You've done a fantastic job mixing and producing this podcast and we always have a oh, really nice please. Sound. You've done a fantastic job and, um, just being yourself. Just one final little shout out. Um, I sat in a backpackers um, watching that grand final in the middle of Alexander Platz in Berlin and just a little shout out to a, a Brisbane Royal fan that came and sat along with me, Kara. Thanks for... Um, battling jet lag and watching the game and i hope you you got home <laughs> safe and whatever else but um yeah so thanks for that and Cute. thanks for the listener because this is why we make it because we got our nice this little is... core group of people that are listening to this and hopefully they really enjoy it and we've had some really nice feedback um so yeah that's that's about it thanks everybody absolutely and this isn't the end we'll be back soon to cover that that review and also talk about all the other shit that i just spoke about but yeah <laughs> Uh, stay tuned and thanks for listening. You, this is Football Not Soccer, your favorite Australian football podcast. My name's Camilo. And then drop see you later. Peace. was fun it was that was a fun record it was a good one there's so much more we could talk about but that's the end of that <laughs> have you stopped it no yeah i know right did you stop it <laughs> um did you um have that same disgusting taste in your mouth when men city lifted the 
Premier yeah. League on the weekend. That was of inevitable. Course. Yeah. Of course. And Bayern Munich, gross. It's disgusting. Bayern Munich, Juventus, I know. PSG. It's disgusting. It's it's um Bro. I heard a really interesting thing it's, on it's a disgrace. Um one of my favourite commentators and probably most people that listen to this podcast, but Simon Hill had a little slam at the financial fair play. Um uh, which is a bit rich coming from a Man City fan, but that's okay because that's his club. But he's so right because <laughs> what has financial fair play done for European football in the last five... How long has it been in place now? Five, six, seven years? Um, it's so shitty. Yeah. Bayern Munich dominate and they take in the Champions League money every year. Uh, Juventus have just made the Serie A so boring. I mean, Napoli pitched up last year yeah but financial financial fair play is all about inc- incoming money and outgoing money adding up yeah you know? but i'm not and saying like for big super clubs like that it's never gonna really affect them that badly you know yeah i i agree with you but all it's making is it's like just well, what he was saying which i agree with is just creating a little bubble it's not even giving somebody a chance to chime in and like actually have a challenge for these classic great clubs that everyone says oh it's their deserved right to be at the top of the table it's they've had the money and they continually get more money in from winning their leagues and being first placed and you know me and you both go for big clubs in england that aren't going to be affected by that but who's to say that swansea or fucking anybody else in the premier league shouldn't be able to one day aspire to there and of course you're going to need some investment it doesn't just happen overnight it's just business mate. it is it is business it's just business but you know all i'm saying is is financial fair play although it's good for clubs not going bankrupt i totally agree with that but it's not doing anything f- to challenge those like classical powerhouses and it's horrible it's it, what how unpredictable how, how i'm gonna how go predictable is it? it's shit Oh, totally. I'm going to go yeah. do an MBA so that I can take over a football club and fucking take it to the top, baby. Yeah, well, we'll win the lotto. MBA. We'll win the lotto, MBA. And then we'll make no, an No, no, no. Just club. do an MBA. You're 100 fine. million. Just do an MBA. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to go for degree we'll number crit. three? <laughs> yeah, MBA, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hilarious. Oh, and um, Jesus. When's... And, and you know, there's not too much else to look forward to now besides the the women's World Cup, is it? Ah, Europa League final, baby. Sh- Get in. There's a, sh- a sock. Yeah, we talked about that last week. You know, there's a soccer <laughs> squad getting announced probably around about the same time this gets released, and it's like no European players or like very limited amount of European players. It's a weird. It's a weird oh. construct. They're just taking all A League people, like Mr. Graham That's Arnold. Exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's good, good for the A League players. Um, Australia's yeah. daddy right, r- <laughs> Rightly so Because I was looking at um, How long players get off Australian football's daddy <laughs> I'd call it's him daddy you call people daddy Yeah <laughs> I don't like it when you call me daddy either That's weird I, l- I love <sighs> calling you daddy It's like my favourite That's yeah, my nickname no, yeah. for you Daddy Yeah <laughs> I should tell you all about this club Called the Kit Kat Club For anyone who wants to um, No I don't want to hear about The look Kit Kat that Club <laughs> <laughs> Kitty cat, I think. I don't know. I haven't been there yet. It's a weird that's, one. That's, All right, mate. No, I think we'll no, wrap it. It's a football there. podcast. <laughs> football, not a sex <laughs> club podcast. Yeah. All right. <laughs> See you later, listener. Goodbye. <laughs>